welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. You may want to grab your Bibles for this morning. We're going to bring me a look in a bunch of verses and, and, or at the very least, maybe grab a pad and you can write some of these verses down and because we're going to move them through these verses kind of quickly. Uh, but last time we were in our study in Ephesians, we were, we were trying to understand the, the reality that you and I were in a war and we wanted to know who our enemy is, because if you want to be successful in any war, you need to understand who you're fighting against. And that way you have a better chance of victory. And, and the first thing we noted last time was who is not our enemy, right? Who, who are not fighting against, right? We're not fighting against your spouse. You're not fighting against your children. You're, you're not fighting against your boss or your employees or you're the coworkers. It's, it's not your neighbor. It's not the prime minister or the premier. It's not, they're not Boston Red Sox fans. Although Sheila, we, we still don't understand why. Uh, and Robin, it's not Kenny G and the saxophone, right? Those, those are not our enemy. None of those are our enemy. Instead, Paul, Paul writes to us in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, and, and he tells us who our enemy is. And he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says our enemy is, is essentially not, not people, but there's a spiritual element to it. And we know that theologians have basically divided this up into three main camps. And, and those three main camps, I think, are kind of summarized for us earlier on in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, where Paul there, he wrote, <clears throat> And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. So we can see there that the first one listed was the world, and then it was the Satan and the demonic side of it, and then finally the flesh. And so last time we started to look at the Satan and the demonic. And, and just as a, as a quick summary of all that, what we did note and what we noticed there was that, the, that while believers can't be uh, possessed or, or owned by, by a demon, they can be harassed or, or demonized by them. And, and so that means that Satan and his demons, which were one third of the angels that followed Satan as rebellion against God, their, their attempt right now, their goal right now is to steal, kill, and destroy, to, to utterly rob you and I of our hope, of our joy, of our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and they're doing everything they, they can in their strength and their power. And, and while we need to acknowledge that our enemy has power, we don't need to be afraid of that power. And we don't need to be afraid of that power because the reality is we've got one who is far more powerful. Remember, Jesus in you is greater than he that is in this world. And, and so when we're dealing with the demonic, we saw it's all about authority. It's all about exercising the authority that God has given you and I. The, the authority that, that Jesus has because he's already conquered Satan. He's already conquered death and sin. And now he's granted that same authority to us. Thereby, we've got that power now to send the demonic away. And, and while that's obviously been, been sensual, 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 
overblown. We'll use that word. I'm, I'm struggling with words this morning as normal, but while it's been overblown, I think in popular culture, the reality is the war we face, like, you know, like war in general has many forms, right? It, it's not always as obvious as when you're dealing with something like the demonic. And, and that I think is an important concept to understand that w- war takes various forms. It takes various styles. So for example, war can be very obvious or very overt. And, and we see that in, in examples like World War I or World War II, where there's open warfare going on in a battlefield. But more often, I think war is subversive or it's covert. It's not so obvious. It's happening behind the scenes. Think about like the Cold War, for example, which, which rarely took place out in the open. Instead, it was in form of sabotage and psychologically attacking and trying to destroy the, the morale of the enemy. And I think that's happening uh, in more ways than the open warfare when we talk about the spiritual battles that you and I are against. So this morning, we want to continue on with that discussion and, and about knowing who our enemy is. And so this morning, we're going to look at the world and try to understand who is, what is God talking about when he talks about the world? And, and I'm going to warn you, because if you're anything like me, you're, you might not enjoy this one so much. Uh, and, and that's because this one might be a little too personal, a little too revealing. So, so if you pretend that your internet suddenly cuts out or suddenly you get an emergency, you got to handle it and run away to, I understand. I, I get that. But, but I thought given the choice between having a message where we all just go, oh yeah, that's, that's good information, but has no impact on us versus something that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. I think I'd rather go for the latter. So I apologize up front. If I say anything that you know cuts a little too close to home and causes a little internal groaning, but uh, hopefully it's a good cut without any condemnation. So let's pray, Lord. We uh, we need you. We need you this morning, like we do every morning. Um, but I'm I'm sensing that especially this morning to focus our mind and our attention so that we can we can shine a spotlight on one of our enemies, on 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 the, this power this force that is out there that is trying to disrupt our faith in you, disrupt our, our relationship with you. And so Lord, would you, would you do that and do it in a way that doesn't condemn anyone, but rather leads us to freedom, leads us to experiencing life in you. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start with what I mean, what I don't mean by when we talk about the world, right? We're not talking about this physical earth. We're not talking about, you know, the, the lions and the tigers and, and bears and so forth, or earthquakes and, and global warming or a dying sun and comets and so forth. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about dealing with the world. And, and again, we're not talking about people in the world, right? So for example, when John three sixteen says, God so loved the world, he's talking about the people in this world. That's who he ultimately died for. And, and so that's not what we're referring to here. Instead, when the Bible is talking about the world and, and warning us about the world, it's ultimately warning us about the influence that this world system has, whether it be the political systems or the cultural or societal thinking. All of that is a negative influence on, on you and I as, as followers of Jesus. And, and they're negative because these systems are ultimately governed and designed by these demonic influ- forces. They're influenced by the demonic. And, and they're meant to serve as a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. Remember, not all warfare is open. And, and so I think this is one of those very subversive, very covert ways where we don't even realize exactly what it is the enemy's up to. But nonetheless, that's what he's doing. Now, 
a quick word here because we need to be careful. I think that we don't we don't go down the road of the conspiracy side of things, right? The QAnon, for example, is very popular right now, and, and I think it's an unhealthy path for us, especially as believers, to go down that 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 path and begin to blame everything on on certain people, like the Koch brothers or George Soros or or Bill Gates and and others, right? Or some other powerful person out there. And, and I don't doubt that those people have powerful, who are powerful, have money and so forth. They have agendas and they are leveraging everything they can towards their own agenda, their own personal gain. And I don't doubt that. But I think we too often, we run the risk of giving them too much glory and praise when we begin to go down that path. See, let, let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, swift is the booty. Now, this verse really has nothing to do with it. Um, we're going to look at a verse later on in this chapter. I just wanted to point out that the Bible talks about swift is the booty. And I got a chuckle out of that. And I know Greg and John Balfour gotten a chuckle out of that because, you know, some boys never grow up. So that's really all I want to do in that verse. But if you move on a couple verses now to verse 12, we're going to get to our point now. So in verse 12, it says, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or to be in dread of it. So what he's saying here is that, that just because things are happening, don't get panicked. Don't get worried about it uh, and, and become fearful of all that's going on around us. And here's why it goes on to say, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. See, the danger is if we start saying everything is a conspiracy, we're giving too much glory and praise to those other people or, or those who might be, you know, legitimately leveraging the agenda to their side, but we're, we're too wrapped up in them. But the reality is God's the one that we fear. And, and we saw last week with Robin, it's a healthy fear. It's a respect. He's the one that's in control. And so then he says, verse 14, then he shall become a sanctuary, both, but to both to the house of Israel, a stone to strike and a, a rock to stumble over. And so basically here is, is that our, our salvation, our sanctuary, our provision, our protection is in Jesus. It's in God. And, and so we don't need to worry about necessarily all this going on and be freaking out about it. We do have to be aware of it, though, but not to the point where, where we start running around calling everything is a conspiracy. And I think Christians as a particular are very susceptible to that line of thinking. And I, and I say that because we know something's lurking in the background. We do know that there's demonic forces out there, that this world isn't right. And it's not, it's not improving and not getting better over time. But when we cry conspiracy about everything, we end up being discredited. We end up being ridiculed. And, and then when those things that do matter and do need to be pointed out, we don't have that credibility to stand on. So think about the boy who cried wolf, right? He, he kept on playing that game. And then finally, when there was a wolf and he, and he cried out wolf, no one was there to listen to that. And I think the enemy, what he's doing is he's using the, this idea that everything is conspiracy to discredit believers. And so it's not that there is no such thing as conspiracies going on, but we don't need to be afraid of them, right? But that's, that's not ultimately what we're talking about the world. The world systems are bigger than these global conspiracies that, that may or may not exist. Instead, it's the smaller things. And so the Bible's warning of us about the influence on the world, warning about this system that has been designed to distract us from God. So let me kind of put it this way, what the world is. 
It is the thinking of this world that is in direct opposition to God's way because it, the world, wants to be a God to us instead. So this world system is is opposed to God. it's, It's going against God because it wants to be a God to us. All right, let's break that down. Let's start with that first part about being in direct opposition to God. What we see here is the world is constantly attacking Christianity, always looking for an opportunity to undermine Jesus Christ and his church. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised when, when every Easter or every Christmas comes out that, that suddenly you'll see, you know, in celebration of these events, documentaries that come out that basically say that Jesus was a myth or it didn't really happen. And they're all meant to undermine that. Or anytime that there is anything negative about, about the church, that is broadcast far and wide. And, and dismissing all the positive things that has is, is come from the church. That's never, never really talked about. And so we see this. It's, it's against the church of, of Jesus Christ. We also see it in the sense that it will call evil good and call good evil. For example, the world declares that murdering babies in a mother's womb is freedom. But to have an opinion, to have an, an idea that is opposed to that is wrong and not even allowable. So it, it's not even just, just to be you know, actively opposed to it, but to have an opinion opposed to that is anathema, isn't good enough. Or, or young children who begin to wonder that they might be another gender. And, and in, now it happens, the world encourages them to take untested drugs that, or even maybe mutilate their body permanently. But if you even have a thought of, hey, let's slow down. Let's think about that. Just that alone, it's called evil and you're thrown away. You see, the world doesn't just tolerate sin. It celebrates it and wants you to celebrate it with it. You're not even allowed to think differently about it. And in part because I think the world knows that it is sin and it is wrong. And if, if you, it allows that room to think differently, then things will quickly unravel. But again, to be honest, why are we surprised? Why are we surprised that this world doesn't align with God and his value? Doesn't align with God in his way? We shouldn't be. See, Paul writing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 12, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So he's making this contrast that this world, this, this, this way of the world is very different than the way of God. And that we've been given the spirit of God so that we may know freely the things freely given to us by God. So how can the world know what God's doing, what he's up to when they don't have a spirit of God like we do? Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But the natural man, the unbeliever, the the person you and I were when we arrived here on planet Earth before salvation, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness to them, it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So the world is very different from, from, from Jesus in the church. And, and it's why that, that the church cannot become more like the world to win the world. And, and I see that all the time where, where people are saying, it, if you want me, then you're going to have to be, you know, move towards me to make me attractive. But the reality is, if the church becomes more like the world, then the world looks at the church and sees the impotence of it. It sees the lack of power of it and doesn't want anything to do with it. 
So despite these pleas that the, the world is saying, become like us, we need to, to not do that. We need to rebuke that way because we can't conform to the world's way of thinking. And in fact, Paul goes on to warn us about what happens just a few verses later. So in, in chapter three, verse one, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as the infants in Christ. I couldn't talk to you as, as mature believers in Christ, he's saying. You were, you were infants. You were like baby Christians. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not able yet to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able to receive it, for you are still fleshly. You're still immature. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men or walking like the natural man, as the translation says? And so what we can see here is that the church, as believers, we're not immune in any way from the world system, that you and I can begin to adopt it and we can begin to walk like them. We can begin to live like them. So let's understand what that means and what that looks like, what it means to live like this natural man. Now, some have made this all about behavior and appearance and performance. I, I still remember when the big, it was a big deal that you weren't allowed to wear jeans to church. And, and if I think about that, you know, that's a, that's a really dumb rule to have in place. I mean, think about it. That, you know, remember, church is not a building. Church is the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. We're the church. And so if it's okay for the church to wear jeans on a Saturday, why is it not okay on a Sunday? Or, or I remember when drums were seen as being worldly and not allowed in church. Or playing cards anytime in your life. Or, or saying words like dude or quoting movies, for example. That was too much pop culture. Or drinking alcohol. Or laughter and telling jokes. Or, or plain just having fun. You know, somehow the idea of what it meant to be holy and spiritual and godly meant that you had to be the most sour and miserable person on the planet. Again, the more the better. And, and so just kind of picture that sour and miserable face and let's put it on a track with the words, come to Jesus, and you too can be miserable yourself. Isn't that an exciting gospel for us? I, I Partly what I love about new life is we're willing to have fun. We're willing to, to not take ourselves too seriously because I don't think God takes life that seriously. He takes people seriously, but he's able to laugh and enjoy life. But you see, it's more than the performance. It's more than the behavior. It's more than what you do. Because with God, it's always about the heart. Do you remember the story about Samuel when he went to go anoint David to be the next king to replace Saul? Saul had just sinned and he was disobedient to God. And so he lost that, that fact that he was going to be the king of Israel. And that was now going to be given to David. And so Samuel sends, Jesse, sends uh, God sends Samuel to Jesse's house and, and he's going to meet one of Jesse's kids knowing that was going to be the future king. And so Jesse begins this parade of, of his son, starting with the oldest. And the first son that comes out, Samuel sees him and goes, wow, perfect. He's, he's big, he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking. He's everything you would want in a king. He's straight out of central casting. And Samuel's like thinking, this is it. First one, we found him, God. He's even better than King Saul. This will be great. And then God says, he's not my guy. He's not the one. So look what he says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height of his, or his, of his stature because I have rejected him. For, the God, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at his heart or at the heart. And you see, it's because the heart is what God's primarily concerned about. It's the heart that he's protecting from the influence of the world. Knowing that if that heart is protected, it will impact the behavior and and what we do and the choices we make, but it all starts with the heart. So listen to how Jesus warned about the dangers of the world can have in the heart. In Matthew 6, 19 and 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's warning us about where our heart is, where we're going to put our heart, where we're going to place our trust in, or where we're going to put our our time and our treasures into. And if it's in this world, it will will be for naught. And so there's, there's more important things that we can do. And so Romans 12 Paul talks about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed, being, being transformed into the image of Jesus. And in, in John's first epistle, he actually warns about loving this world. And so in chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You see, he's warning us here about this friendship with the world where we're we're dependent upon the world, where we're looking to the world because what the world will do will ultimately begin to corrupt us, right? That old phrase, bad company corrupts good morals. And and that's, that's the risk for you and I. Because the reality is, if you think about someone standing on a chair or on a platform and someone standing lower, it's easier to pull someone down than it is to pull them up. And that can begin to happen. If, if, we're, if we're so connected into this world and the way it's thinking, it will ultimately have a negative impact on us. You see, I, I know some believers, some Christians, who actually boast that they like to be around unbelievers more than they like to be around the household of God. And the reason is because they, they agree more with the unbeliever than they do the household of God. Now, we're going to see, it's not that you have to ignore the people of this world and we, we separate and go live in these communes, nothing of that sort. But when, when we become more connected to the people of the world than we are the household of God, I think that's a warning to us, a massive warning to us that we are, if not being pulled down, we've been pulled down because we're not seeing things God's way anymore. We're so wrapped up in thinking and seeing the way that the world thinks. And and so what the world is doing then with that, not only is it opposed to God, but it's actually now attacking the thinking that we need God. And, And it's doing that because again, the world instead, it wants to be everything you and I need for contentment. Remember what we said earlier? about what the world is, it's that thinking of the world that is in direct opposition to God's way because it, the world, wants to be a God to us. Well, it's that second half now I want to look at, how the world wants to be a God to us, meaning it wants to be the one that cares for us, provides for us, looks after us, and gives us what we need. Remember the the parable of the four soils that Jesus talks about? Again, it's all about the heart. Each soil is the heart. And there's that third soil where, where he talks about the seed being scattered and, and, and it takes root 
and, and it begins to grow. And so we see that person has accepted Jesus. They're saved. They're, they're a follower of God. And it says the fruit never comes to maturity. There is fruit, but it never really becomes mature fruit. Instead, Jesus says in the parable that they're the thorns, which were the cares of this world, began to choke the, the fruit, began to choke the plants so that it could not come to reach its maturity. So it's that cares of this world. And, and what, what that, that means or referring to, it's the things that the world wants to distract us from, where it wants us to begin to, to catch our gaze and our attention. You see, the world is, is promoting itself, it's marketing itself as a potential utopia. That, that if we just did things right, if we, just, if we just worked hard enough, if we just thought the right way and, and behaved the right way, then, then we would be able to find that utopia. And so it's, it's influencing, or at least attempting to influence our thinking, our goals, and our desires. That's what this world is doing. And, and that's what God's warning us about. See, what the world promises us, it says, if you live like the world, you'll be satisfied. You'll be happy, and your life is great. That's what it offers. It can't deliver, but that's what it offers. All right, let's, let's get a little uncomfortable here, right? And let's, let's begin to think, how might the world be influencing how we're, how we're thinking, right? So, what the world is saying to us is that the most important thing is your own comfort, your own financial security, and that you are respected and valued. And that's what's important. And so think about how many of the choices we make are based on what is my comfort level and, and how will that impact my financial security? How will that impact my respect and my sense of value? Or my comfort is found in material possessions. And, and therefore, I got to make sure that I'm, 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 I'm surrounded by those material things or I'm only doing things that I know I'm comfortable with, that I know I'll be successful at or I know that I'm, I'm good at or, or it doesn't inconvenience me in some way. Or, or my security is found in the size of my bank account or my retirement plan. Or we're, we're chasing significance um, uh, for, you know, through security and a career uh, where I, I just need to be the best. I just need to advance, get promoted. Uh, I need to be recognized. It, you know, the business needs to be bigger. Or, or I'm chasing all these things, my, my happiness, my joy, and my family. If I only had a spouse, then I could be happy. If I only had children, then I'd be happy. If only I was single, then I'd be happy. Or, or I do it with friends, and they become the source of everything I need. Or, or we find ourselves with the keeping up the Jones mentality, where our worth, again, is measured in, in material things. And so we just keep buying things, trying to make myself happy. Or, or I'm looking after myself uh, so that I can be prepared for any event while, I'm, while others around me are struggling. This is the, sort of the, the two cloaks sort of idea, where I've got two cloaks and my neighbor's got none. But I got to keep my extra cloak as a backup just in case something happens to my first cloak. And so again, I'm well protected, but everyone else around me is struggling. Invest, investing too much time uh, or money or attention or energy into hobbies that are really empty, empty pursuits rather than blessing and caring for those in need. Or, or being obsessed with how I, I look through fashion, diet, or exercise. I'm not guilty of that one, so I'm not too worried about that one. But, 
But anyways, there's, there's all kinds of different things where, again, it's all about what is our ultimate goal? Where is our desire? Where are we focused on? And, and while I can't see any of you right now, I'm pretty sure I can guess what's going on in your head because we're all prone to extremes. We find it very difficult to, to naturally move towards balance. I find we're, we're more naturally moving towards the polar, polarized extremes. And right now, the flesh, which we're going to get to next week, right now the flesh is already beginning to create within you some kind of a standard some kind of a, a, a level or expectation or a law to determine what is acceptable and not. How much time is too much? How much money is too much to spend on a hobby? And, and what it's going to begin to do is basically show to you that you're beyond that standard and therefore you're not performing well enough and you need to try harder and you need to be better and, and it's condemning you the whole time along with it. And so we need to understand, we need to, we need to find some of that balance right? God's, God's not saying that you can't enjoy things, right? He, he can't say that you can't have a nice home or can't have a fancy car or go on nice vacations and so forth, right? God loves his children. He loves you and I, and as any parent, loves to bless his children. And, and he loves to bless his children with a nice home and a, and a nice car and, and, and trips and clothes and nice jobs and so forth. But those things are not a be-all and end-all in themselves. They're not the things that we pursue in and of themselves. And, and it's hard because these things are not wrong. They're not bad. And again, God's blessed us and he's given them to us. But how do we know if it's from God or is it because we're chasing after the world and what the world's offering to us? And it's here where we're trying to figure out which is which that I think that, that religion has tried to draw that clear line. And it does that with the no jeans or no drums in church, right? You can't, you can listen to music, but not the saxophone, for example, right? So they've, they've tried to implement those kinds of rules. But the reality is that it can't be quantified with a law or a standard. Because what might be okay for one might not be okay for another. What might be okay in one moment might not be okay in another moment. You see, this is what makes it so hard because it's about the heart. It's where your heart is. And ultimately, only God knows what our heart is. And that's why we need to ask him. We need to seek him and find out from him, where is our heart on this? And is it healthy or not? Now, fortunately, the apostle Paul, he's given to us some help so we can figure all this out. So Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, and in, he, they were, he was writing to him about the things of this world, things like food and clothing and drinking and material possessions and even sex, right? All the things that give us pleasure. And, and he was trying to talk to them about where do they go too far with it? Where does it begin to dominate and control their heart? And so he wrote these two verses that are very similar, but I think give us some, some ways to kind of evaluate where is our heart. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then in, in 1023, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So in summary, he's basically saying all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial or profitable. Not all things edify or build me up, and I won't be mastered by it. And you see, that's kind of the thing we can begin to test. That's the kind of thing that we can begin to evaluate whether or not this is dominating us, whether this is controlling us or not. Let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, the Raptors won the NBA championship. Wasn't that, wasn't that kind of cool, McDonald's? I, I know I 
that was a great time, right? And I remember watching that and it, it was celebrating it and it was very cool. But I did remember in that moment that it, it was okay if they didn't. That, that I, didn't, I didn't now go, oh, suddenly now I can die. It was, it was fun. It was exciting. It was, it was actually the best part of it was just hanging out with friends, celebrating it and following it together on that journey. But, but I didn't need them to win it because it didn't master me. It didn't control me. Now, that's not always been the case when it comes to sports, but, but in that moment, it was healthy. It didn't dominate. And so what we need to understand is, it, is it going to be- benefit me or those around me? Is it profitable? Is it going to build me up or build others up? And, and will I be, or will I be mastered by it? Those are the things we can begin to test. And so sometimes what we need to do is maybe we need to wait, right? Maybe, maybe we need to avoid the impulsive purchase or the impulsive act, right? To show that this is not mastering us, right? So maybe we don't need that extra piece of cake right away or, or get seconds. Uh, see if you can go without it for maybe half an hour and then make a decision, right? So it's not just something that's impulsive. Or, or don't buy that thing on Amazon right away. Maybe instead wait a day or two and then buy it, right? It's, it's, unless you really need it, chances are you can think about it for a little bit and pray about it and make sure that this is something that God's inviting you to purchase, not just something that you're trying to get in the moment, right? And so showing that patience can be a way sometimes to see what is it that's controlling or mastering you. For example, I'm thankful the Leafs keep going out in the first round of the playoffs, right? It's showing to me this great patience that, that it doesn't master me that they need to win. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> anyway, so the, the world though, right? It's, it's offering to us, trying to, to be a God to us, but it can't answer what we're needing. And so we get those impulsive buys and it, we have to get more impulsive buys or, or we eat and then we got to eat more or, or we got to, to lose weight and then we got to lose more. And we got to, it's always more, more, more. Because like a desert mirage, it's not real. What the world offers to us is not real. That, that no matter how hard you look for it, no matter how hard you search for it, you'll never actually find it. Instead, the consequences begin to eat away at our soul. So, so James warns us about this in, in chapter four, beginning in verse one, he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures and that wage war on your members that you lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So really what he's saying in those first three verses is, is that you're living like the world. You're pursuing all these worldly things. And, and whether it be through your own efforts, through your, through your struggles, you know, even through sin, right? Murdering and, 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 and just stealing and so forth. And maybe not physically murdering, but hating other people in your heart or using your words to cut them down. But then in verse three, he says, and maybe you even ask, but you don't receive because you ask for wrong motives, which means you even look to God to be the answer to all this. You see, I see this so many times within Christians is that they don't actually want God. They want what God can do for them. They, they don't actually want what, what God is offering himself. Instead, they think, they think that if I follow God and I, I, I do what I'm supposed to do, then he will give me what I want in this world. And so God becomes a means to an end and not the end itself. 
And so we're going we're gonna to go to church, we're going to pray, and we're going to live clean, and we're going to live right. And then God's going to bless me with a life that isn't full of struggles. Yes, there'll be some struggles, but it'll be easier struggles because I've done things God's way. And so we get disappointed. We get frustrated with God when he doesn't come through from me because he's not giving me the world that I wanted. But why would he? Why would, why would God help me in my idol worship of all these other gods? He's not about to do that. And so we need to want God for God. And that's what it's about. And I, and I think that was best illustrated by those, those three Hebrews that went into the fiery furnace where they made this, this declaration. They said that we will never bow down to any other idol, to any other God or worship anyone but God, even if that means you throw us in the fiery furnace because we know our God can save us. That's an incredible statement of faith. But they went even further and they said, but even if he doesn't, we still won't worship him. You see, it was all about worshiping God, regardless of the outcome and the circumstances. It wasn't we're going to worship God because he's going to make our life easier and better. No, we're going to worship God because he's, he's worthy of that praise because he is God and he deserves it. So he goes on now in verse four in James. He says, now you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, this idea here of being a friendship with, well, first let's, let's talk about the other part of it. The, 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 the hostility that comes from that or the, the disappointment that comes from it, right? That when, when we, we don't get what we want, we become angry and embittered where we, we become, we have this blocked goal and we begin to blame other people. We blame those around us, our, our family or, or, or again, the government or, or our friends or the church or other people who aren't giving me what I want. Or maybe we even blame God and we become embittered towards God because he hasn't answered our prayers the way we wanted him to. And we run the risk of being like Jonah, who after seeing God rescue Nineveh was so angry and upset that he was just bitter and even bitter towards God. But let's, let's talk about now what the answer to all this is, right? About this, this friendship with the world, how it is a hostility towards God. Because some have said, well, does that mean, again, we, do, we, do we have to remove ourselves from the culture, go live in a commune with only other believers who will agree with us and, and only think the same way from us as many have tried in the history of, of the church of, of Christianity? And the answer is no, absolutely not. In, in John 17, Jesus, he prayed this prayer for you and I. And, and the prayer that he prayed was, was essentially that while, while we are in this world, we're not of this world. And that while we're in this world, but not of this world, that God would protect us. And, and so, see, that phrase, you're in but not of, I think is so important for us. Is that we're in this world because we're a light to the world. We don't hide that light. We have what this world needs, which is Jesus Christ. And so we're offering that to the world around us. And that's why it's important for us to be in the world. But we're not of this world. We're not born of this world. We don't belong to this world. We belong to a heavenly kingdom and we need to begin to think that way. We need to begin to think like the kingdom of God and less like the kingdom of this world. And, and so there's an antidote and the antidote isn't just not, you know, avoid the world or don't think like the world. The antidote is let's go to Jesus. 
Let's allow Jesus to transform our thinking. Allow him to conform our thinking to his ways and what he's doing. And as that begins to happen, you and I begin to experience what, what's our birthright. We begin to experience eternal life right now. We get to experience Jesus providing for us what we need, regardless of whether the circumstances matched or not. And, and so what I want to close with, I, I want to close by reading one of the letters that Jesus had the Apostle John wrote or, or record for us as recorded in, in the book of Revelation. Right? And so there's these seven letters written to seven churches in, in the book of Revelation. And, and just as a quick you know, summary for all that, he wrote it to the churches, not to the individuals. And that's important because some have read those passages and go, oh, look, he's taking away their lampstand. Does that mean he's taking away their salvation if they don't get their act together? And that's not what it is. Again, it's to the church. And, and if, they, if they didn't heed the warning, then he was going to allow that church to fall apart, to fail. And, and that's, I think, really important for us to understand because these letters now weren't only written to these seven churches. They benefit us today. Now, some have tried to interpret these seven letters representing seven different eras. And I don't, I don't buy that because I don't think Christianity can easily be defined by one era. Right, the, the church in North America is very different than the church in Africa, which is very different than the church in China and so forth. How can you just make one big global blanket statement that way? We can't. Instead, I think each of these letters apply to us, maybe depending on the situation you and I are in, depending on what we're struggling with. And, and when I think about those who struggle with the, the world and the influence the world has had on its heart, then the letter that is most appropriate for us is the last letter, which is the letter to the church of Laodicea. So I want to read it to you and, and, and we'll comment on, on what their mistakes were and what God was offering instead. So beginning in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now let's, let's stop there for a second there. Because some have said, this lukewarm Christian, that's the one that gets rejected. It's basically what he's saying to them is hot and cold have value. You can do more with hot water or more with cold water, but lukewarm water is pretty useless, right? I mean, hot water, you can cook things in, you can make tea, you can have coffee, you can have a bath. Cold water can be refreshing and so forth, but lukewarm water is useless. And that's this idea here. I wish you're hot, I wish you're cold, I wish you're useful, but you're not. So why are they so useless? He goes on to say, because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, that, that describes so many believers today, especially in the very affluent first world country that we are here in the West. Where, where we've got everything. Our pantries are stocked full. Our fridges are full. You know, we, we can go grocery shopping once a week, once every two weeks, and, and not fret, not worry, right? We got canned goods coming out of the wazoo. We got toilet paper in surplus because we just kept buying toilet paper for some reason, right? So we've all these things. We've got everything we need. We've got, we've got you know, three cars in the driveway, but only two licensed drivers. 
sort of idea. We're, we've got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things. But he says, you don't realize how wretched. Now, that wretched is not that you're horrible or you're sinful. Wretched is you're miserable. And then that second miserable is really to be pitied. Because you're poor, blind, and naked. It's why churches in Africa or South America, where they're far more poor financially than we are, are actually sending missionaries to North America. Because while they don't have material possessions, they are richer in spirit because they have a, a deeper faith with God in, in some people. So as I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may close yourself. And so these, these gold refined by fire is the stuff that Jesus is doing. The, the white garments is the righteousness that he's given to us. So that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Because the world is so blinded us. We're so accustomed to thinking like the world and fitting in with the world and keeping up with the world that we don't actually see what's happening. And so we, we need to ask God, give us this, this eye salve, this ointment to, to remove the cataracts, to remove the blindness so that we can see how desperately we are for Jesus. And I think that's, that's where you, when you can be successful by the world standards, that's the risk you run where you become blind to how desperately you need him. Because no matter how big your bank account is, how nice your house is, how much food you have in the pantry, all of that can go in a heartbeat. All of that can go in a moment. We've, we've seen that just in the news this week uh, about that building collapsing in Florida, how quickly things can change in a, in, a, in a heartbeat. And that's why Jesus has to be our solid rock, our foundation. It goes on, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change your thinking. Change your thinking about following the world and the world's ways to following Jesus and the kingdom of God in his way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will dine with him and he with me. He overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. See, some of us have been dating the world. We're married to Jesus, but we're dating the world. The world's become our mistress. And now we're naked, we're fat, we're weak, we're discontent, we're miserable, and we're out of shape in a war. And, and, and so think about, you know, basically the best way to describe it is how you feel after you've eaten a family size of bag of potato chips in one sitting or an entire tub of ice cream. Just, just feeling gross. And it's because we've been dating the world. But we don't always see it, much like that, that frog in that boiling water that started, you know, lukewarm or cold and has warmed up. We're, we've slowly just, our thinking has, has been adjusted or, or conformed to this world. But Jesus is at the door of your soul and he's knocking on that soul. And, and he has with him this home-cooked meal, this, this beautiful, perfectly grilled, juicy steak. With, with garlic mashed potatoes and, and butter and, and grilled asparagus and sautéed onions and mushrooms and, 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 and this beautiful, light, tasty dessert. And, and since I don't 
not a dessert guy. I don't know what kind of dessert that would be to my illustration, but fill it in the blanks yourself. But he's, he's got this incredible meal. He's knocking on the door of our soul and he says, let me in. Let me in because I want to dine with you. I want to sit with you. I, I want to, the King James says, sup with you. And, and so he basically, he wants to spend an evening, the whole evening, just conversing with us, just sharing with us, eating and laughing and crying and listening and just, just sitting with us, enjoying with us. Because see, what, what he wants to be, he wants to be the answer to all of our struggles to be the comfort to our pain, the strength to our weakness, the protection to our fear, the peace to our restlessness, the healing to our wounds, the provision to our wants, the companion to our loneliness, the acceptance to our rejection, the consolation to our hurts, the overwhelming love to our feeling of shame, the worth to our inadequacy, the rest to our need to prove ourselves and the truth to the lies that we believe. And yes, he may be working through those things in this world, but he is the source. And and it starts by us asking him to be those things through us, to be those things to us by inviting him to show us how he wants to satisfy those needs in us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful gifts that you've given to us to, to, be, to be in this world at this time. It is a comfortable world, and, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the homes that we all have. We're thankful for if we have a vehicle if, or of a job or money in the bank account or, or just food in the, in the pantry, at, at the very least for today. But you were the one that provided that. And, and while we can enjoy these things, they don't own us. They don't master us. It's okay if we don't have them because you're the source of all that we need. And so, Lord, right now, I know the flesh is going to try to shame people and condemn people for the possessions that you've given to us. Would you speak clearly to them and say, this is of me. It's okay to have and enjoy those things. And those things that you don't want us to have, that we'd be free to let them go and and hand them off to someone else who who would need them or, or whatever you want to do with that. But Father, most importantly, would you be the source to all of our needs, the one who is our provider, our giant. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.